This is Pause for Thought, a podcast brought to you by Animal Therapies Limited. Not many people can honestly say that their job makes their hearts sing. Today, we're lucky enough to meet someone who ticks that box. Vicki McDermott is an executive business coach, a TEDx speaker, and the creator of The Power Quotient, a model for leadership that accesses the power and wisdom of horses. Based in Victoria, Vicky includes horses in her leadership training programs, inviting CEOs and their teams to learn from an animal that has lived on Earth for around 50 million years, a lot, lot longer than humans. Vicky is one of the key speakers at this year's Animal Therapies Limited Conference in Brisbane. You can learn more about her work at www.vickymcdermott.com. Vicky, welcome to Pause for Thought today. Thank you, Candy. It's an absolute privilege to be here. Now, set the scene for our listeners and explain how you made the journey from being a partner in a large accounting firm to becoming a leadership coach and where you now incorporate horses into your work. It seems like quite a large leap. It does. In fact, the leap uh, has sort of gone the other way. It was uh, the accounting partner and recognising then what I believed or what I witnessed horses were able to bring to to leadership that I then decided that I needed to look at that further and indeed developed my leadership coaching, went through and got qualifications and explored further how the horses are integrated in so many approaches where there's an improvement an additive for for humans in interacting with horses. So it was sort of the other way. It went from accounting to horses leadership to becoming accredited to being able to integrate those two. So horses weren't part of your life from the get-go? No. Quite late in life, won't give you the age, but uh, it was quite late in life for me. And uh, it was really through my daughter, so I can choose to blame or thank her for where I am in terms of anyone who owns horses knows that it's a very expensive thing to have, but it's also such a beautiful thing to have in your life. So, no, I didn't have horses as, as a youngster, as many people have had the privilege of, but my daughter certainly had that privilege. And it was through interacting, becoming more familiar with the horses and then deciding eventually that I would like a horse of my own and interacting with different trainers and different approaches to horse training or horse riding instruction that I saw the different approaches and the difference that those different approaches could have both for the horse and for the humans involved. It was really about leadership. The overlap and the intersect is so obvious when you see it that way, but it takes some time, I think, to integrate the two. But once you start talking about what leadership is and then you talk about interacting with horses, it's effectively the same thing. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I was initially just pondering about what horses can teach us about leadership and how others perceive us given we can't communicate with horses in a verbal way. But then it occurred to me that 90% of human communication is nonverbal. And so just observing them must be a really useful tool. Absolutely. And through the observation, it's the need and the ability to open yourself up and leave preconceived notions behind and really approach it with curiosity 
And that's curiosity of heart and curiosity of mind and just seeing what's going on, particularly where the interaction with people occurs. And an example would be if you approach a horse with, well, not with aggression, but with without taking real notice of the impact you are having on that horse, a horse will often either deliberately walk away or potentially take a step back. If not with their feet, then certainly with their body, you can see there's a step back, there's a removal of them. The reality is if we approach people that is what they do, but it's not so obvious. We have manners or we are conditioned not to do that, not to step back if we feel that way, but we are stepping back in our minds. I think maybe the other thing that people don't really think about, I mean, horses have been around for about 50 million years or so, and they've learned a thing or two in that time, haven't they? And not only adapted, but thrived. So I guess They've developed their own system of leadership. And what is it about the way they interact with each other and other horses in the herd that, that we can learn from? I'll reference some, some of Linda Cohenov's work, and I won't get it completely right, but in her book, The Five Roles of the Master Herder, where there isn't one leader, it's an interchangeable roles. They take turns, effectively. There's the sentinel who is looking out for what's going on around. There's other classifications. So realistically, what the horses have done is learned how they do survive in that environment and in a collaborative way because they need each other. So describe, there may not be such thing as a typical workshop, but describe a typical exercise where like a CEO or a senior manager comes in for the day, probably with preconceived notions about or thinking, oh, what am I going to learn from this? For the benefit of our listeners, just describe what the exercise involves. Can I invite you all to watch my TEDx talk? There's a beautiful example in there of, in fact, a CEO sending his team to one of the workshops because they needed to work better together. And inevitably, it's a whole environment that influences behaviour and attitudes. I won't run a workshop where somebody sends a team. The person who is responsible for that team needs to be there too. Uh, so even footing, horses don't care what your title is, who you think you are. They are non-judgmental, but they assess what they see as you present. So an exercise might be, and everything is by invitation. Everybody is there by invitation, including the horses. If the horses are displaying behaviour that indicates to me that they're not up for it today, then they are free to leave. And the individuals are there by invitation. So there's no force. I don't make fun of anybody. It is an encouraging, supportive environment. Every team member is responsible for the every team member. So there's a, a collegiate approach built before we even start. So the individuals may be invited to introduce themselves to a horse and invite the horse to walk with them. The initial invitation is without anything other than yourself and you and your team collectively are the most valuable resource that exists in an, in an enterprise. Sure, we can bring tools in, we can bring consultants in, we can bring in new computers, we can bring in lots of other things, but the most valuable resource is yourself, yourselves as individuals and the team. So how do you engage at an individual and team level to encourage the horse to walk with you? You referenced that TED Talk and I, I did look at it and it, I found it really interesting. 
And particularly there was a line in there or you were just talking about the fact that horses don't have an an ego and are not motivated by a, a paycheck, unlike humans. But what motivates a horse then? So in my experience, the number one thing is they need, they crave, they don't exist in the absence of safety. And you need to create that safety for them or, or, or not threaten that feeling of safety. And then you have to have something that they're drawn to. So what? It, why would they bother? There has to be a coherence about yourself, So, which means you need to be connected to yourself in the first instance. And all of this can be reasonably confronting, but I don't talk about that upfront. It's more a reflection afterwards, what changed. And you can see the shift when, when people let go of expecting that they're being judged by those around them or that they're, the task is the thing that needs to be done, when they let that go and enable that what they're really doing is building a connection between them and the horse and or the team because the horse is part of the team on the day, when they let that go, it happens. There's coherence and there's resonance and it's a flow. I am sure there is a scientific answer for all of this. I don't have the scientific answer. I only have what I have witnessed. And I can absolutely guarantee you that what happens is flow. And I describe it as a dance. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I think another thing that you talked about, or maybe I've read myself, is that horses are there in the present they can't remember what happened yesterday. They're not worried about what's going to happen, you know, in 10 minutes or half an hour tomorrow like we are, and they're very authentic. Now, if we walk into a yard with a horse and we're not in the present or we're not authentic, what can we expect that horse to do? Turn around and walk away or just not work with us? Potentially. Well, why would they engage? You're not there. Why should they be? I'm not I'm not sure that's the thought process of the horse, but, but you're not inviting. You're not... You know, there is no invitation on your part. And if you have a feed bucket, that's a different conversation, of course, because a feed bucket is a conversation. But if you're not there, why would they be? And so the translation of that is in the workplace. If you don't turn up literally and figuratively, why would people bother? That's a good point. And I'm just wondering what horses can teach us about setting clear boundaries and working effectively. Boundaries is something that I probably talk about more when I'm doing the work with some of the, I, I do, in addition to the leadership work, I do some work with a, a couple of other groups of people who are not in a corporate environment. However, what comes out is, is self-efficacy and confidence and realistically all the, all the underlying components of what leadership really is. And boundaries becomes a really important thing because often these it is a lack of daring to ask or expecting to have. And I have a very cheeky little pony who uh, if you don't set some boundaries with him, and this works with the corporate people as well, not just, not just the other groups. If you don't set some boundaries, then uh, for people who are familiar with horses, the expression being mouthy, for those not familiar with horses, it means that uh, if there's something that he can put in his mouth, then then he will go for it. And it could start off with just the tugging of your jacket and 
that that might look like it's a good thing. Oh, the horse likes me. It wants to be with me, which is true. He, he, he wants to be with you, but he wants a bit more of you than you're prepared to give. And sometimes those the, the mouthiness on the jacket with the lips can unfortunately turn into the teeth beyond the lips and potentially the skin beyond the jacket. And neither of those things are, that's not a good outcome. So how do we enforce a boundary about, yes, I'm comfortable with with you in my presence, but I don't want you to nibble my jacket. It's sort of not really cute. And and I can't say it's bad behaviour because it's, it's something he just wants to do. And he does it with everything that's in the paddock. And it's not naughtiness, but you need to manage it. So he's a beautiful teacher of that. And sometimes we put we put a circle around in the sand, uh, you know, we draw a circle with, with our feet or mark a circle out and you decide where your boundary is and you, re- you enforce that boundary with kindness, not with meanness, not with discipline, but you establish that boundary and you enforce it and you're entitled to. A little bit earlier you referenced the fact that there are different types of leaders in a herd and... I think most people just think, oh, the stallion must be the leader of a herd. But that's not necessarily the case, is it? It sometimes can be the quiet one in the background who's just rounding everyone up, caring about them, looking out for them. Absolutely. And it's the quiet ones who potentially are not recognised as having been so important. And, And it's the same in the workplace. Who has a voice or how a voice is expressed, how contribution is assessed. It's not necessarily the noisy, active ones. It is potentially the pensive, the one looking out, the one who is a little removed so that they are, in fact, have the observation of the whole and not just what's directly in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just wondering what sort of feedback you get from, you know, companies who've undertaken these workshops have they gone back and had a look at their management or leadership style and perhaps amended it somewhat? At an organisational level, I think that that is more challenging But because everything has to start at an individual. Well, it has to be started at an individual level but reinforced, obviously, from the top. But the top is still made up of individuals. So there's an amalgamation. But certainly at individual level and team level, absolutely, where it becomes a known shared experience that is easily referenced. Everybody remembers that it was with the horses. Yeah, we did that with the horses. Yeah, that came up for me with the horses. I think also because it's such a unique experience. And I know, you know, equine assisted therapy or or incorporating animals into, into a corporate training is becoming more common now, but it's still something normally it's human to human. And I think the recognition that as humans and, you know, often very smart humans can learn so much from animals and horses. I mean, horses are so intelligent and it really is just a simple case or not so simple for some people, but putting aside your ego when you go into those training sessions. 
Absolutely. Because in the absence of openness, it's impossible to learn or the focus of learning is so narrow, it becomes, we could talk about cognitive bias with all of those, the aspect of confirmation bias. If someone says something that you already agree with, then you seek out all the rest of the things that agree with you other than having an openness. One of the sayings that I have is, and it goes to interpretation of what's going on, where curiosity lives, judgment cannot And so if we approach it with an absolute curiosity, and that's a curiosity of mind, a curiosity of spirit, a curiosity of body, our wholeness, our whole, bring our wholeness to the table, to the arena, to the learning experience, enables the learning to be received. It must be really satisfying to watch people interact with horses and often people who may not have had anything to do with horses and see those light bulb moments when they get it and they realise what's happened there and that interaction. Candy, can I tell you that somebody asked me today, why do you do what you do? And my answer is very simple. It makes my heart sing. After each workshop, I may not say it directly in case they think I shouldn't be paid, but but what I say is I think I get more out of it than anybody else. That's the dream job, isn't it? (laughs) I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly uplifted by what I see, the transformations that happen in front of my eyes and continue to because there's sort of, there seems to be this iterative approach because the absorption at a cellular level of what you have experienced goes on. Uh, Can I just reference very, very briefly, there's a professor that I did my master's research with, uh, Professor Murray Gillen. One of his beliefs is about interconnectedness at a cellular level. So when I went to him with my research proposal, oh, he was overjoyed. (laughs) And and he's actually, he's written a book subsequently that is nothing to do with that. But he says that what he saw with the horses cemented his previous beliefs and knowledge around how you can build connection and how this learning is ongoing. Well, that's a, that's a really amazing endorsement. And I'm wondering how many people leave your workshops and go out and buy a horse. <laughs> I'm not sure that any of them ever have. <laughs> Vicky, you're going to be presenting a session at the upcoming ATL conference this month. What do you hope people will take away from that? I guess my purpose is to bring the power and the wisdom of horses. I used to say to corporate Australia, but I would say to all workplaces, and the impact is manifestly accelerated when it's in the workplace and can be taken home. I think it's harder to learn things at home and take them to work. So I would like people to understand how what they may already, there's so many practitioners working in the therapy space, and maybe there's just an additional overlay of what this looks like in a, in a leadership context. If I understand therapy correctly, it's realistically taking someone from one position to another, and that's what leadership is. It literally is taking someone from one spot to another, and that's really the message. It's about if we want animal-assisted therapy to be recognised as it so rightly deserves as a legitimate Uh, approach, then I think if we can overlay some of the leadership principles, both in the way therapy is approached and the way therapy is delivered, I think it, it increases the potency of the work. 
Well, I, for one, am really looking forward to attending your session in Brisbane. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us on Pause for Thought today. Oh, thank you, Kenny. Absolute pleasure. And I look forward to seeing everybody at the conference. Thank you.